Geek Top 5, Season 5. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is so exciting. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And I have gone through the list, and I cannot believe we haven't hit this before. Uh, there are some fundamentals to being a geek, and ladies and gentlemen, I mean, a sign of maturity is being able to uh, admit your mistakes. We missed one. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, well, this is a video game series that has been in existence since 1986. There are uh, many iterations of it, depending on how you count them, at least 20, and uh, it's about time we do a top five of the Legend of Zelda games. Now, anyone who knows anything about Legend of Zelda knows that you can't do it without three key players. So uh, <laughs> we so we had to bring in someone to complete our little Triforce of podcast here. <laughs> I Grant. love it. I'm <laughs> it, way too delighted by this. It's like it was meant to be. It was faded <laughs> by the goddess, etc. Graham, would you want to roll out the red carpet? It is one of our favorite returning guests. Uh, you know him, you love him. He's the king of the East Coast, Mr. John Kyle. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be here. And I'll take a lot of the blame for how long it took you to get around to this episode, because I probably pitched this on you a long time ago and then just kept putting it off coming back on to do it. <laughs> so if you had to pick one of the three, uh, you wouldn't be going with wisdom? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> the Triforce breaks down, for our audience, the Triforce breaks down into power, courage, and wisdom. I think uh, wisdom is going to be a tough one for us to decide on. Yeah, that might not be here. We might have to, we might have a duplicate and a missing piece, but we'll do our <laughs> we'll do our best. Uh, John, Kyle, and I have each put together a list of our top five Zelda games. We're going to bang them against each other, sort of see which ones, uh, yeah, which ones come out on top. I know a lot of times with our dueling lists, we sort of have to settle on saying like, yeah, yours is good. Yeah, yours is good, too. Uh, but man, this one is going to be a challenge because, boy, are there a lot of really good Zelda games. And they're all so good. Like I had such a long, long list to just be able to whittle it down to five was hard enough. And then to try to rank them, impossible. And I've only played one to completion. So I will be refereeing this one. <laughs> <laughs> We love you anyway, Grant. Nobody's <laughs> perfect. Which one was it? Wand of Gamelon? <laughs> no, unfortunately, I never never touched that one. It was uh, Ocarina of Time for the Nintendo 64. Uh, that was the only one. I've, I've started Majora's Mask, uh, started Link to the Past, and started Breath of the Wild, and uh, haven't completed any of them, or frankly, gotten very far at all. To be fair, I think a lot of people started Majora's Mask and got stuck partway through. Well... We may end will, up talking about that. Yeah, it may come up. So just to, to give our audience a brief idea on this, this series started in 1986 on the original Nintendo, the NES. And the the premise is that you are a, a the, the basic version is you're a guy who wears green and you go out to save a princess. And kind of like the Final Fantasy game series, there isn't any real continuity. And I'm sure I'll be contradicted on this, but there isn't traditionally much continuity from one game to the next they're, they're not direct sequels they're sort of re taking the same characters and putting them in a new environment it's usually your hero link who's a nameless hero but the the, the name that we 
give him when we're we're amongst friends is Link, and he's going to save the princess Zelda. Sometimes Zelda is more of an ally than a, a damsel in distress. Sometimes she's just the damsel in distress, and usually the villain is a, a man named Ganon or a pig monster named Ganondorf. Am I am I close on that? <laughs> it's always Ganon. Sometimes they make you think it's someone else, and in the end, it's always Ganon. That's how you can tell it's a Zelda game. There you go. Uh, yeah, and and I do think there have been some sequels or pseudo-sequels, but usually it's just a fresh slate with those characters in a new setting. They, the other consistent piece is there's a Triforce. It's these three triangles, and you bring them together, and you get to you can make a wish with that. Uh, and it's granted and it's wonderful and happy for everyone. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a long running series and it's been on just about every iteration of Nintendo's consoles since the beginning and is a very, very popular franchise. It's sort of a platformer slash RPG. Most of the time, probably there have been a lot of <laughs> links. Crossbow training doesn't quite fit into that, but but yeah. I like most of the time, probably. That is, uh, I want that on a business card. Uh, so, why don't we talk a little bit about your your history with the franchise before we get into the actual list? What, when did you start playing it? How many of the games do you think you've played? I, I might I as well. I might as well go first since I'm the old man in the bunch here. Uh, I started with the original. I um, the Nintendo was the first video game system that I had, so I guess I'm not super old, but I'm old. Uh, and Zelda was my favorite game on it. So I, I started with the first Zelda. I played Link. I, I played all the, uh, well, I, yeah, I started with, with Zelda. I should uh, insert this caveat here that I never had a, th- a DS or a 3DS. So I have not played those, the portable versions of those ones. So Spirit Tracks, Phantom, Hourglass. Uh <laughs> <laughs> And um, uh, Link Between Worlds, I think, was the 3DS, most recent 3DS. Yeah, so I haven't, I haven't played that one. And I also actually didn't play the Minish Cap. I, I did the Oracle of Ages and Seasons games, but not uh, not beyond that for the portable ones. Mm. But all the other ones I have played. Uh, well, I did not finish Skyward Sword. I will admit that. <laughs> hey, me neither. And that might come up as well. Um, yeah, I also started with the first Zelda on NES. I'm a, I'm a little younger than John, so it was older by that point. But yeah, there was a lot of a uh, friend and I, you know, pl- like playing this game. And I, as much as I remember playing the game, I also remember these big sort of, I want to say 16 by 9, but that's not how you measure paper. But these big rectangular sheets of paper that were meant for, you know, four or five-year-olds to do arts and crafts, which rapidly became maps where we would map because the first Zelda was, I mean, it, they didn't use this term back then, but it was very open world and you had to remember where stuff was and how to get to places. And so for a long time, even later into my life, I was pulling out these reams of paper with crayon drawn arrows and bushes and indications of where to find things. Always the, you know, the one in the, the cemetery where you can find the good sword. I, I had a similar kind of experience of, of that was the first game that I drew maps for. I, I mean, I, re- I remember having kind of family friends who had PCs and played like the first King's Quest game and going over to their house and seeing that for a few minutes. And they had maps for that game. But for me, Zelda was the first game that was big enough to need a map and and trying to have to keep notes of how to get from one place to another. Yeah, such a weird thing to like that. That did not carry forward into the video games of the future. 
Um, but it's like, it's just like, as if you were an adventurer in the world, like you were basically expected to keep notes. The old paper instruction manuals for those games usually had like some blank pages at the end, exclusively intended for you to write down just tips and things to remember and adventure and exploration games like the legend of Zelda. Oh boy. I mean, it also helps being, you know, four or five years old, you know, your memory, your, like, even your motor skills aren't quite what they are once you grow up. And at the time, we had a lot. We had to, we had to refer to those a lot. And I remember occasionally, like, spreading them out along the floor of this guy's basement and, you know, staring at it from above and going, okay, so we're going to go here and then here, and then you can cross this, and you can use the raft here, right? And that probably goes to somewhere we haven't been. So let's try to get there. Well, it like, and Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I kind of remember the the physical map that it came with only had part of the world, and you kind of it, it kind of showed you to, that you had to map the rest of it yourself. Oh yeah, it uh, not only did it map the rest of it yourself, but if you're four or five years old, you lose that map almost an instant. <laughs> yes. I I don't think I actually saw that original map until I was well into my teens and going, oh, wow, look at all this stuff it came with. Now, when I was a kid, it was de- definitely just the cartridge and whatever crayons that your mom would let you play with. I, I, it's, I, also, I'm worried I'm making it sound bad. That was great. <laughs> like, I, those are very fond memories. It was like, it, it, like you, you felt so accomplished when you successfully navigated your way to another dungeon. It just it's the discovery. And that's something that they've kept up with with this franchise all the way up until today, that the discovering new things is a huge part of it. And it just boy, is that a wonderful feeling of accomplishment. So uh, before one last question, before we get into the list, what is it you think that has kept this franchise going since the earliest days of Nintendo? There are other games that are from that same era that kind of have faded with time, like Kid Icarus and, uh, you know, Battletoads, things that didn't make that transition to the next generations. But Zelda has always been there. There have been some gaps, but by and large, there's always been a Zelda game for every every new generation. What keeps it fresh? I think it's because they keep reinventing it. So there, there's common themes amongst all throughout the games of, you know, you get the Master Sword or you get the Boomerang, but there's just been huge leaps from one game to another to make it new and fresh. Yeah, it's, and I think that also ties into the discovery I was talking about. Before I was talking about discovery as in like finding a cool secret or, you know, a hidden monster infested temple, but also the discovery of check out this cool new tool that's in this one. You know, like you play the first Zelda and then you play something like Link to the Past and you're like, oh, this hook shot is amazing. And then you get to Ocarina of Time and all the music stuff comes into it. And that's great. And, you know, then like they just they keep adding new things to it. And it's always it's always cool. It's not just, oh, now your attack is stronger. Now you can take this. It's here is a new way to play. Here's something new to do fitting into that that formula. They're very good at that. And I mean, I like Battletoads, but Battletoads is a game where you move left and right and you punch things like it's and that's fun. But, you know, the new one they released, the the arcade one is not that different from the one they released on Nintendo 30 years ago. You don't, you don't get anything new out of it. It's exact same flavor. You already eaten it. Nah. Yeah, no. And I also think that they've just done a, uh, I don't know, compared to Battletoads, I think Zelda games do a good job of teaching you how to play it without making it impossible. Like I 
<laughs> Battletoads was yeah, that's very specific to Battletoads. Yes. But yeah, that game is hard. <laughs> so at least like Zelda had your reason to keep well, you know, Zelda you could play for hours, whereas Battletoads, it's like you're lucky if you can survive five minutes. I mean, I don't know about five minutes. I toot my own horn a little. I, I got pretty good at Battletoads. <laughs> but it, yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, well, why don't we get into the thick of the lists here. John, since you are our guest, why don't you go first? What's your number five? Okay. All right, this is hard. I mean, it's... <laughs> so dramatic. I, well, there's just so much I had to cut, too, and we're not even getting into stuff like Okami. But uh, so my number five is going back to the black and white era, Link's Awakening, which was the first Zelda game to come out for a portable system for the Game Boy. Or the Game Boy. It did not make my list. Please, go ahead. Okay. This was actually, as a kid, might have been the Zelda game that I played the most because I had a Game Boy long before I had a Super Nintendo. So I played Link's Awakening before I actually played Link to the Past. Uh, and I really like this game. It It is fun. It's a little bit uh, more uh, cartoony and kiddish than the uh, other games, other Zelda games of its time, at least, uh, but was just really fun to play and, and have such depth in a game for a Game Boy and in, to in a game for a portable system was also wonderful at the time. Uh, and I just think of like how many hours I lost myself into that, you know, two inch square screen, having this giant world you know, opened up behind that little frame. Uh, I I love Link's Awakening. It's it's um, it's a good game. I don't mean to sound uh, dismissive, but like every every Link and Zelda game since the N sixty four, there seems to have been a new gimmick with it. Was there a gimmick with this one? Something that set it apart from the other Zelda games of its era? Um, I mean, in gameplay wise, not so much. It was kind of like they took a link to the past and made it black and white and simplified some aspects of it to to run on a Game Boy. Uh, it, adding, it added Rock's Feather, so it added jumping, which we hadn't had, at least in the uh, top few Zelda games. You know, uh, Zelda 2, The Adventures of Link had jumping as a big part of it, but not in, you know, a, just a top few Zelda game. So that was kind of a new thing. But, you know, it took you out of Hyrule uh, for the first time, really, and um, gave you this new world and a wondering whether you're in a dream or not uh wondering how much of this is real uh gameplay wise it was i, I think just like a link to the past uh but with a really fun setting uh, lots of fun cameos from other nintendo characters at the time you had mario you had um dr wright from the SimCity game uh and so there was kind of a lot of just fun figuring out who these people are supposed to be it was a, a wonderful game for it, you know, maybe a younger audience, but still a real Zelda game on a Game Boy. Yeah, I can I can get behind that. It definitely stands out a little bit as like that was a weird one, sort of especially coming on the tales of Link to the Past. Like some of the some of the tone was a little different, and some of the mechanics of it were a little different. I remember I really appreciated the all the instruments. The MacGuffins in that game are collecting all these instruments, and the, the, like you were trying to play a magic song. Basically, is to is the climax of the game. Yeah, and every time you got an instrument, like you, you played the song, but with another instrument added. And like, I'm sure it sounds better in my memory than it really did because it was on Game Boy and it was at reduced chip tune. <laughs> 
Uh, but music has always been a really important part of the Zelda series, and they did it in a cool way. I, I definitely appreciate Link's Awakening. I think at the end of the day, something about it being outside of Hyrule, something about the different setting and the different characters. And I mean, you know, you mentioned like, oh, it's always Ganon at the end. And this one, it kind of wasn't. They sort of were straining a little. It made it sort of feel like the redheaded stepchild. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It is a real Zelda game, but somehow it doesn't feel quite that way to me. It's like they're in Etheria instead of Eternos. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And now I haven't played later versions of it, too. I know they they released a deluxe version for it for Game Boy Color. Yeah, I didn't. Where they added either. a lot of color to it. And, and, and the they Dungeon. Uh, I've right, always wanted to go back dungeon. and play the color version for that reason, but I... Uh, I'm I'm just thinking of the original version here. Oh, for sure. Me too. Uh, I know they've also recently done the Switch version, the full 3D remake, which is looks adorable. It does. But like Link's Awakening, it's definitely aged down. But uh, I mean, if I you know, if I was getting a four or five year old into The Legend of Zelda these days, that's the one I would start with. But again, I'm sort of feeling like, well, that because it's kind of the kiddie one, right? Hmm. It's sort of it's sort of a knock like so I don't not a knock against it is strong but that's why it didn't quite hit my list. That's fair. I mean I played it as a kid and so it just seemed like Zelda to me. But it's like we were talking about like there's so many good games that any one of them could be on this list and it's hard to say that you're wrong about it. Hmm. All right, well Jess, what's your number 5? Uh, my number five uh, may ruffle some feathers a little bit early, especially with the older crowd, but my number five at the bottom of my list is Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. John? That is higher on my list. I Yeah, I guess I could have assumed that. All right, we, uh, we got to talk Link to the Past when we get to it on John's list. Once we know where he's slotted it, um, then we'll have a bit of a, a row to figure out the, <laughs> where it really Who's belongs. wrong? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but then I guess that means we can volley it back over to you, John. What's your number four? My number four is Twilight Princess. Shows up higher on my list. Okay. <laughs> back to Jesse. This is going to get a little complicated to keep track of. Is anyone writing this down? Oh, I've got it going. I got it covered. All right. Uh, my number four, I had, again, maybe a feather ruffler. At number four, I put in Ocarina of Time. It didn't make my list. <gasps> Wow. Yeah, I knew that was going to be going to be controversial. Yeah, that's controversial. I thought I was bad putting it down at four. This was a game that sold N64s. So uh, it's interesting that it didn't make your list. So, Jesse, why don't you tell us about Ocarina of Time? Yeah, Ocarina of Time, uh, 1998 on the Nintendo 64. At the time of its release, this was generally considered the best video game of all time. Um, this was the first time they took Legend of Zelda into a 3D world. I mean, a heavily polygonal one, um, but they took it into a 3D world. And you talk about how Zelda reinvents itself as it goes. This was a big step, mm -hmm. you know, like three, like this was the fifth game that came out in the series. And of the, like of the previous four, three of them were kind of samey in terms of design that top-down overworld view you know move a character up down left right to explore the map this was a third person over the shoulder uh explore a 3d world and also just tons of story and character and dialogue 
which was also something that they hadn't had much of a chance to do before. Maybe more in Link's Awakening, come to think of it, but nothing like Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time, like a lot of Zeldas, sort of restarts, well, depending how you interpret the insane timeline, sort of restarts the timeline. Um, in an interesting move, they started you off as young Link. I mean, at the time, it was just Link. Just he, You play as him as a kid, and you go on a... You go on adventures, but the adventures turn out to be part of a much larger theme. And there's the very famous spoiler alert for a game that came out 20 years ago. Don't worry about it. The very famous switch up later in the game where Link basically is like frozen in Captain America's ice for seven years and emerges as a fully grown adult. And they do a cool like while you were away, the bad guy took over the world, but now you're back. And you go back and forth between these two time periods, doing things as a kid that affects the future and getting resources in the future that help you as a kid. And all builds to this big dramatic confrontation where you're trying to rescue Zelda from Ganondorf. It was revolutionary. Uh, it was a ton of fun. It had a great soundtrack. It again developed that music thing with the the eponymous ocarina of time where you would play songs on it to cast magic essentially whether that be changing the weather or teleporting you do that with the buttons on the gamepad but for no reason you never have to use it in the game but they also added that you could use the stick to change the pitch so really you could get like a full range of notes out of this instrument and i, I know that people like went in and figured out like okay here's you know a b c d e f g and Let's play songs like Socarina. Like it was that fully fleshed out and developed. And this one was also there. There's a five year gap between Link's Awakening and this. So it's a five years without a proper Zelda game. Uh, do you guys remember how excited you were when it was announced and released? Oh, yeah. The hype was huge. It's, uh, I mean, five years is a long time when you're, you know, 10 years old, <laughs> a little older than that. But, uh, but yeah, and it, it, as much as it was like the first new one in a while, it, it didn't feel like just another Zelda game, right? It wasn't just Battletoads 2. This was a completely different game. And Nintendo had just started with the N64 with these big 3D worlds. Like nothing like that had ever happened to Nintendo players before. Like it was a huge deal. I it just I, I remember, you know, dragging my mother to the I, I, what was it called back then? It might have been an EB Games. Might have been something earlier, but the day it came out and then essentially you know, not putting it down all weekend and going back to school and talking to a friend, to do, you know, hey, did you play it yet? And he's like, yeah, I played it for about an hour. It seems pretty cool. Like, how about you? And it's like, I'm like six dungeons in. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to a micro play and getting and paying extra for the gold cartridge of it. That was the pre-order because that's that's the Nintendo thing with with Zelda is like when they launch it, it comes out with the gold cartridge, and if you oh, if you okay. wait too long, you get the gray cartridge. They'll re-release <laughs> re it. It's like the second printing. I had the gold cartridge, but I lent it to a cousin, and then it mysteriously disappeared. Dun dun dun. Yeah, not very mysterious. <laughs> ah, it drove me crazy. And it, okay, well, it doesn't matter anyway. Uh, <laughs> That's number four on my list. There are things about it that I can sort of poke holes at, but I think we got to toss it to John here. It didn't make your list at all. I mean, I, it is a wonderful, like, it's an amazing game, and I love it. Uh, the I mean, 
it, this could have gone on my list on a different day. This would have been on my list. The reason that I didn't put it on is just because I like the other games more. I, I think part of it might have been that um, there had been, you know, it it did new things with 3D, but it wasn't uh, like it introduced 3D. You know, like Mario 64 had been out for I think a couple of years at that point, uh, yeah. and I'd been playing 3D games on the PC for many years at that point. Um, so it still did amazing things. Like it's a great game. It's uh, it's a Zelda game, so I love it. Um, but it just, for me, like I ended up, you know, I put, I have Twilight Princess on my game. Cause I think that one really refined the 3d Zelda and this one introduced it and did great things to introduce it. I just ended up liking the other ones better over time. Wow. Yeah. Spoiling I, your list here. I think I can get in on that, that yeah, like, you know, compared to the later projects, it definitely feels more like a tech demo. Uh, the world is not as big as I remember it being. You know, if you really sit down and, and play it again, you sort of like, oh, I can I can get from one end to the other of this pretty quickly. Um, a lot a lot of it was that shock of new, and I don't know that it holds up as well, which is why it's not my number four. I think it's still, I would say it still has to be up there. I oh mean, yeah, it, it definitely kills Link's Awakening for me. <laughs> that and that's that's but, fair. Uh, and this, yeah. the, like, whatever, say, like, I've got a long long list. And so this just barely didn't make the short list. Yeah, well, no, we can keep dishing about it. Um, but yeah, again, like so many cool concepts introduced, but many of them refined later, I think is the where we're agreeing to go on that. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like this is worthy of any top five list. Just not yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go to John's number three. All right. So my number three is A Link to the Past. Okay. So okay. still not very high for a game that uh, kind of defined the series in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. I, I kept going back and forth, like whether this one should be my number one or not. And I settled on number three. So you were like, I've got my number two and this could be one or three. Like the number two was set no matter what. Well, uh, <laughs> it was all very fluid, but this could have been my number one because I love this game and it was just uh it took a formula and just perfected it in my opinion wait sorry are we going on in this jesse where is your link to the past yeah mine was at number five so you pitch me it for number three i'll tell you why it fell to five we'll see what comes in yeah i think this game just took the top down zelda from the first zelda game and perfected it uh and just added so much with the light world and the dark world and jumping back and forth between these two mirror places um i think it's a just a great game and just uh let's you know link's awakening uh was a great game because a link to the past set up so much i mean that's like that's summing up a lot there's so many pieces to link to the past. It, I mean, look, look, just quick details. 1992, Super Nintendo, um, the third game in the series. The second game took a weird turn, and nobody likes it very much. Um, so Link to the Past was a... Return to Very form. literally, yeah, it, it was a return to form. There isn't actually time travel in Link to the Past. It sounds like there should be, but that Link to the Past is connecting it to the like the first game and arguably a story thing because a lot of it is, you know how fantasy stories are. It's, you know, t- you know one thousand years ago this guy was was sealed away, and now identical circumstances are here, and there's no way he could possibly escape, or could he? 
But anyway, Link to the Past did that. Like you said, it's that top down. It's that overworld. You play as Link. You explore this big living world. Uh, you go from point to point. You collect new items and tools that give you more abilities to do more stuff, to confront bigger bosses, to go to the other places and collect their tools and et cetera, et cetera, until you are covered in tools and have upgraded way so many hearts and just wearing an awful, awful colored outfit that apparently is the strongest one in the game and go to confront the, the final boss. Um, it had a very cool, what they called the light world and the dark world. It was this mechanic where... Essentially, I think like alternate dimensions and what sometimes like what you do in one affects stuff in the other. So at the game's best, like you're traveling to the dark world, changing something and then going back to the light world to exploit the result and vice versa. It was an adventure. It was an okay. It was a big world that you could explore and find secrets and find new things and talk to your friends in the schoolyard and go, Hey, if you, if you find this building, just go a couple screens to the left and there's a secret cave. And in there you can find this thing that does this other thing. And then lightning hits you and you get a medallion. It's crazy. And everyone was just that the, everyone just comparing notes for all the cool stuff you could find in this game. It is much beloved, but <laughs> but at the end of the day, this game is about swinging your sword at monsters and pushing rocks onto switches. That is is that fair? I mean, that's reductive, but it, I mean, you're not wrong. And, and I think part of this comes down to like like Ocarina Time made such a it, it like it bifurcated Zelda into two D and three D Zelda. And in some ways it comes down to what do you prefer? Do you like the 2D Zelda or do you like the 3D Zelda? And and for me, I love 2D Zelda. And that is what makes it so high on my list. That's fair. I And I, I still play 2D Zelda. It's still great. And I still look for games that are like 2D Zelda. And Link to the Past is the one that took that and really refined it and said, like, this is great. 2d zelda but again the series has come so far from it since then that i mean there's really only so many different ways you can find a key mm -hmm. i'm trying to think like what's the most complicated puzzle in a link to the past and i guess it would have to be ganon's tower where you have to go like you, there are maybe two or three different stories and you go upstairs to get higher and have to fall in holes to get lower. And you need to pick the right hole to fall in to access an area you couldn't otherwise. And you do that because you need to press a switch that opens a door and you get your magic staff that can make a switch. Uh, rather, that can make a stone that can rest on the switch to open the door. And like, that's... That's really the, the most thinking you, you had to do. I, I suppose, but I, I think... One of the things that um, Zelda games are great at is giving you lots of tools, but not right away. And you kind of need to work your way up to tools and there'll be little hints in, or you'll see something in, in the world. Like what are, what's that stack of rocks? I can't do anything with that right now. Maybe I'll get something later to deal with that. And then later you get the, you know, the stronger bracelet or whatever it is that lets you deal with that MacGuffin, I guess. But um and so it's you need to work your way to be able to have all the tools in your tool set to be able to get to that dungeon in the first place 
to then be able to tackle this maybe minor puzzle. But I, I think that's part of what makes all these all of these Zelda games great is just that tool set that you build up through the course of the game. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's true. That's that's absolutely it. And they did do a phenomenal amount of cool tools in that one. That item screen has what like twenty five or thirty different things that you can equip to the Y button, like, every, like from the mundane, like your bow and arrow and boomerang to like a bottle full of bees or the staff that makes you invulnerable or the, like the magic fire thrower thing. Yeah. The, the butterfly net. Yeah. The butterfly net is surprisingly important. One of only two weapons in the game that you can use against the penultimate boss. <laughs> huh. All right. Well, okay. So good, good debate. I, it's, I'm still surprised it's so low on both of your lists, but, uh, I guess it's time to move on. I believe we are going to Jesse for his number three. Yeah. So, so John, you mentioned you've played most of the Zeldas. This is an odd man out. I wonder if you've done this one. I haven't played the this CDI is- games, Jesse. <laughs> nobody's I really, talking about i really scene. wanted to at the time there was one in the mall and i would walk by it every time i'd go to the mall with my parents and just wanted to play that zelda game but i didn't so tell us about wanda gamelon yeah <laughs> no no one's talking cdi number three on my list is the legend of zelda four swords adventures i was for gamecube i was hoping you would talk about this because this is a blind spot <laughs> for me Oh, God, this is so this is the odd man out. It's 2004. And technically, it's for GameCube. But also, you need a Nintendo Game Boy Advance to really play it. And technically, you need four Nintendo Game Boy Advances (laughs) to play it. This is an incredibly bizarre game from a bizarre time in Nintendo's history where they were really experimenting with different things to do with hardware. Uh, this is where their like their shout at the microphone samurai pinball game came from. This era. No, um, I, I will say shout at the microphone in the controller was in the original Zelda game. Only in Japan, though. Wow. Okay, fair enough. Maybe we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Four Swords Adventures. What it comes down to, it is a four-player co-op Legend of Zelda a la, but not exactly like A Link to the Past. It And it has these weird features. So you could say to yourself, well, this is a game about exploring and stuff. How do you do that with four people at once? There's only one screen. That's what the Game Boys are for. What you do is you get your Game Boy Advance or preferably your Game Boy Advance SP, which was the one with the backlight. And you plug those into the controller ports of your GameCube. And you play the game on your Game Boy. And generally, all four players start as Link on the main screen. But whenever you go into a cave or you know, into a small, like into a building or something, then Link, then that's happening on the Game Boy screen. And you look down. So the way this works is this is for puzzle structure. Like you might not have, you know, two, like there's there's two ways to get into this cave and two players will go in and they're playing on their Game Boys and they'll you know, run through the short things kind of individually and hit switches that open something up on the big TV for the other two players to go through. And then they have to do something to help the other links back. So you're constantly moving back and forth between these two screens but you're working together to solve these Zelda puzzles. It, um, I think, is the only time The Legend of Zelda has ever been multiplayer. 
and they work out this fun thing where it, it is cooperative. Like your goal is to get to the the you know, the end of the dungeon and beat the boss, and always like to beat the boss. You had to do like all four of you had to do something at once, right? Even if it was as simple as like all four of you have to shoot an arrow at the same time, but usually more complicated. Somebody has to hit a switch, which opens up the window, which lets a beam in that bounces off like somebody else's shield. Yada yada yada. But at the end of each level, there was also sort of a rating: who got the most kills, who collected the most rupees, who did the best. And the game absolutely allowed you to, you know, interact with each other. Like, you got the power glove to lift up rocks, but you could pick up one of the other links and throw them out of the way. So there was this sort of fun, kind of cooperative, competitive thing you to You get it. to mess with your friends. Yeah, exactly. In college, we, well, some of us, uh, went to a party that uh, the the host of the party, Diana, if you're out there and listening to this, I owe you an apology. I hope this counts. I think she had very different ideas of what would happen when you invite a bunch of college age people over to sell, you know, like to, to party all night. Uh, but we hooked up Four Swords Adventures and just played like we played it for the evening and then through the night and then the sun came up and we <laughs> ate breakfast and kept playing it and then went home. And poor Diana, I think our friendship was never exactly the same because she was not nearly into Zelda as much as the rest of us were. <laughs> But it was just, and what I'm getting at is that it was impossible to put down. It was, it, it, like, it was a, like, it's, Zelda is hard to share with your friends because there's a lot of, like, hey, did you beat this dungeon? I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, I beat it. I thought it was cool. Oh, okay, me too. No, this was one that you needed to rely on your friends and think together. And, well, you try going over that way and I'll try going over this way. Like, it was so baked into it to have that cooperative to it, which, I understand why they didn't do it again because the hardware requirements were ridiculous and it's probably really difficult to design dungeons that way. But adding that multiplayer experience of Legend of Zelda was a phenomenal time. And I think at the time there probably weren't many cooperative games like that. Like cooperative I games mean, at I all. guarantee it. Cooperative games that need you to have multiple copies of the game multiple copies of the console and a whole other console right well i, I just you only needed one copy of four swords adventures oh okay. but yeah you, you needed four game boys and four game boy to gamecube <laughs> link cables uh, which i mean which worked out because we were all big nintendo people we all had our own game boy anyway but yeah if you think to yourself i'd like to play that the price for entry is steep God, Nintendo would never do it. I understand why, but that would absolutely work today with Bluetooth and smartphones. It just occurs to me now. Like a Jack Party game. Yeah, Yeah. something like that. It could be done. It could be done. I know Nintendo is super protective of their IP. They were very reluctant to do those sort of mobile app games, and it doesn't look like they're investing very heavily in it. But if they wanted to do it again, you could do it, well, uh, you could, and you could do it online. Honestly, the way like they've set up the Switch, you could do that. Like, the way like a lot of Switch multiplayer works, that like, you could have multiple people. You know, with Mario Kart, you can have multiple people with their Switches in the same room playing in the same game. They might, yeah, they, but I mean, one of them would have to be docked. It's it's tricky. Yeah. I, again, I, I understand like it's it's a big investment that like that is not a reliable way. <laughs> to make a video game um but in, but, in and, some ways it sounds like that's what the wii u is emulating 
Yeah, that's definitely they were trying for that second screen experience. That was their the verbiage for that. Um, the Wii U being one of Nintendo's rare failures uh, is, is not a point in their favor in that regard. Sure, but it, like it, for this game to essentially inspire an entire console, that's pretty great. I mean, Nintendo was doing a lot with two screens at the time, right? The 3DS and the 2DS. like the DS, then 3DS, then 2DS. They've been trying to work on that second screen thing for a while. And the Switch is just the latest iteration of it. I mean, that's just Nintendo. They're always, they don't do the obvious thing. They don't just you know, basically sell you an expensive computer and hire somebody to make a $55 million video game for it. They say, what if motion controls, right? What if microphones, yeah. They're always trying out weird stuff, and this was some of that weird stuff. It's We should move on. This one, I mean, we can't talk much about it because I'm the only one here who's played it. Uh, it's number three on my list because like, at the end of the day, it really was just four-player Link to the Past. I've already played Link to the Past. I mean, they're original dungeons and stuff, but that like it was those tools, those maps, that graphical style even with just a little Wind Waker influence. It... Um, it was a unique and separate experience. It is not Zelda in its purest form. Um, but on the off chance you get a chance to try it, I, I if you can get three friends together and you have a, some of this old stuff sitting in your closet, I just it's it's a, it makes for a really cool party night. I think it's also a, a good like you're showing just how great Link to the Past is that they can take that engine and modify it slightly and come up with this completely bonkers other type of gameplay. I'll uh, I'll accept that, but I'm still leaving Link to Pass at my number five. But I still <laughs> think this was better. <laughs> okay, John, what's your number two? My number two is the original Legend of Zelda. Didn't make my list. That's call me a heretic. No, that that's that's fair. I mean, what we're it's talking okay. about. I'll say you're a heretic. Well, we're talking about Nintendo doing weird things with hardware. This Zelda game was that. Like this was the first video game to have a game like something that would save your progress without needing passwords or something like that like it, they put a battery inside the console inside the cartridge so that it would save your progress and i'd never played a video game like that that was so big that you'd have to save your progress like they they knew that you weren't going to tackle this in one sitting you'd be thinking about it and coming back to it days later to oh what if i blow my whistle in this screen Maybe that will reveal the dungeon entrance. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a genuine puzzle, wasn't it? It was just like some places you could blow the, the whistle and something might happen. Like no indication of it. Like nothing to, to lead you on to that. You just, you had a whistle. There was, Maybe yeah. You try it every once in a while. You'd run into an old man in a dungeon and he'd say something like secrets are where fairies aren't or whatever is he said. And that was your clue to, well, there's a pond here, but no fairy. Maybe I do something weird. So this is... Yeah, this was the original Zelda game that it inspired so many other games that are Zelda but this. Uh, and so the reason it's so high on my list is that like there was nothing, there'd never been anything like this. And it has inspired this whole series of video games, not just Zelda, but Okami and so many other games stem from this. Um, and it is still, I just played it again this, this week in the run up for this podcast. Uh, and it's still a great game. And, and one of the things that I particularly like about this Zelda game, along with one other that I'm sure is going to be on our list is that it just, it just sets you free from the beginning of the game. There's no real gates on you. You can just go right to wherever you want 
you don't have to tackle the game in any particular order. You can go to the dungeon number three if you want. You can do what you want. You're just set free in this world that will kill you if you wander off into the wrong area too soon. Uh, and you just go explore. And there's all sorts of hidden secrets. There's all these hidden uh, caves that you can find. And you go in a cave and someone gives you 100 rupees. Or maybe you picked the wrong cave and he's going to charge you for the door that you broke down. For better or worse, they don't make video games like that anymore. No, this this game, you really just had to figure it out. And and that's... Um, you know, I, I one of the reasons I love Link to the Past is that they took Zelda and... And just filed off all those rough edges. But uh, Zelda was just such an influential game and such an amazing game at the time that was so different from Super Mario Brothers or, or Kid Icarus or all the other Nintendo games at the time. The original Legend of Zelda is not on my list. And this is reflective of something, like a position I am taking in a lot of different, a lot of different lists, frankly. It's where this <laughs> comes from. This is, I get into this argument with people a lot with movies. And it's like when you talk to people, like, you know, people who are into film, it's like, oh, what's the best movie of all time? Oh, well, it's Citizen Kane. Right. Well, why? Well, because Citizen Kane did all these, like, cool, like, shots and ways of telling a story that had never been done before. Okay. But, I mean, they've been done for the last 70 years, right? And I'm inconsistent about this on my own list, where I've got Twilight Princess higher than Ocarina of Time, which didn't make my list because I just think Twilight Princess did a better version of the 3D games. But for some reason, this one, I still love it and think about it. And and it's probably just because it had such a big influence on me as a kid of this is the game that my friend James and I would talk about while we're on the playground of and the game that I would draw in hand, you know, hand-drawn maps of to figure out where to go. Me too. And like, it was super formative, I, but so were, you know, Sesame Street coloring books, but they're not my favorite books of all time. <laughs> you know, like I, and that's, that's a little reductive. I know, but I, I, I like the legend of Zelda 1986. It's, I think it's, it's a good game, but it doesn't do anything that hasn't been done so much better later. That's not a knock against it. That's not its fault. No. It, it can't travel through time. But I'm saying, like, I just, there are way better books than Elmo Goes to School. Even the Elmo. Debatable. No, I'm I'm putting my foot down. I'm drawing a line in the sand this far, no farther, and I'll make him pay for what he's done. Elmo Goes to School is is a formative book, but it's basic. Same with The Legend of Zelda. It, like, the way we were talking about how Ocarina of Time was turned out to be kind of the tech demo. For games that did it so much better later, I feel the same way about Citizen Kane. I feel the same way about Legend of Zelda. I get that it's important, but I, if I, I had to pick, like, hey, you're going to be locked in this room and you can pick one Legend of Zelda game to play for a week, it's not going to be the original. I, I just, I, I, I can't even picture holding the the old rectangular controller anymore. I mean, I was playing it on the Switch. I actually kind of prefer the old controller to trying to play this on my Switch. But I still think it holds up as a good game and a fun game. And it might only take you a few hours as opposed to weeks or months to to beat it. But it's fun for those few, like, for the you know, all of those hours. I will grant you just talking about it, the dungeon music is already stuck in my head. So a lot of that is... 
Yeah, a lot of it is formative. <laughs> it's hard to put down. And, and and I think this is one of the things I like about it too is is that it's you know by modern standards it's brief. At the time, it was a massive game that would take forever to get through, and now you can beat it in a, a few hours if you know where you're going. Yeah, if you know where you're a going. New, a, a new person, a new player, still has a lot of exploring to do. Yeah, but those like those dungeons are fun, and you know, blowing up walls and finding the hidden areas in the center of the eye of the eagle like it's it's a still a finding game. that one specific tree to burn with the candle but not any of the other trees yeah <laughs> there's some rough edges to the first candle that you get in it you can only burn once per screen and you have to leave the screen and come back yeah and try the next tree and then and leave and come back and try the next tree <laughs> you get a boomerang and like two screens later you get the better boomerang you know they they definitely improved on it with like figured out the pacing and improved on it in later games but for me it still has a a place in my heart as one of my favorite games ever i will agree place in my heart but uh you know not a place in my game library at the moment or on my list should we move on to uh jesse's number two let's do it um more time to talk uh sort of inverted here one i have higher that john has lower my number two is twilight princess it's a good game I'm not going to argue with that you about that. The legend this, of- this one has to be one of the weirder twists in the franchise. And I don't know much about it, but I do know the one central new game mechanic. Yeah, well, not as much what, as you'd think. Yeah, what, what do you but, think is the central, what is the new mechanic? Werewolf. Because I think there's two. There's, there is, you get to play as a wolf, but also motion controls. Okay. Yeah. Which is... Uh, which I mean, interesting. Like, okay, well, here let's so yeah. the overview. Legend of Zelda: Twilight Princess 2006 was a simultaneous release. Um, it was a it was a GameCube title that became also they ported it to become a launch title for the Nintendo Wii. Their big introduction to Nintendo motion controls, so you could do things like when using Link's bow and arrow. If you're playing on the Wii, you would hold the Wii remote up to the screen, and it would sort of become like a targeting crosshair, and you would you know, aim the remote where you wanted the arrow to hit and also like swing the remote around to swing the sword and stuff. I, I mean, maybe this discussion comes later. I've never been huge into motion controls. I find them a little gimmicky, especially when they're forced into a scenario where I feel like maybe they're not that necessary. I originally played twilight princess on the GameCube, just with a regular controller. Even then I thought it was phenomenal. It's number two on my list. This is a spiritual successor to Ocarina of Time. It's that same sort of 3D world. Um, but they have added a ton to it. It's this is a this is Ocarina of Time, but ten years later and very moody and dark and cinematic with this in these in-depth story and characters. Um, they add, geez, what, where to start? I mean, yes, they, so one of the mechanics is there's, think of it as a curse. That's the short, short, short version that turns Link into a wolf and it changes your gameplay mechanics. No more are you running around with a sword and shield. Now you're bounding around as an animal and lunging and biting and stuff. Um, you switch back and forth between Link form and wolf form fairly often. And towards the end of the game, you're doing both to solve puzzles or exploit weaknesses in bosses. 
Uh, but they also add a ton more to do, a ton more depth to everything. They add, like, like every Zelda game has had a sword, but it was always press this button to swing your sword. Now they added, I just, I want to say sword moves. It sounds stupid to put it that way, but it's like techniques you can use. Like like moves that'll like you know like, like throw yourself into a roll and come up behind the guy and do like a stab from the back or jump and attack and like not just jump and attack but do it in such a way that like you'll bounce off their head and move back. They like they added pr- more than just swing sword. They made things that made it feel like you were using the sword. You'd want to use different techniques against different enemies. The horseback stuff, the horse wasn't just for travel anymore. Now there's stuff to do on the horse. There's horseback sword fights, which is great. Every kid who's ever been to medieval times wants to see a horseback sword fight. Um, so you're running around on the horse. There's also, you know, shooting like archery from the horse, which you could do in Ocarina of Time. But now it's like there are other guys who are also mounted and you're having this mounted battle. That's totally new. You had not necessarily side stories, but they added more, like more is going on in the world than just your adventure. You go to the, like you go to Kakariko village and you meet this family and there's this long running side story uh, just what like each of the different kids has a slightly different thing going on. The weird almost baby ends up opening a shop and you end up supporting him and getting that to work. But there's also at one point, one of them gets sick and you have to escort their caravan across Hyrule Field. And it turns into sort of a it feels kind of old Western because you're going over these rope bridges while you're being pursued by bandits and stuff. And it and it's and it's dark, and that feels like it's reductive because we live in the age of dark and gritty. But The Legend of Zelda is a kids' game, and this added moral weight to things. And like, good guys have made bad decisions that have had repercussions. People get hurt, people get sick, characters die, characters are threatened, things go wrong. You try to put them right. It is an extremely cool experience. Twilight Princess, to me, the way we talked about Ocarina of Time sort of turned like out to be a tech demo of what they could do. Twilight Princess is the mature version of that. It is, it was, it would have been number one on my list. It was for a long time until very recently. So it's I'm slotting in at number two. But just holy cow, do I love Twilight Princess, and I can't wait for them to release for it on Switch so I can buy it again and do it again because that one is phenomenal i I agree with you like the same way that i I think link to the past took the 2d formula and really refined it and added a huge amount of depth twilight princess did the same thing for the 3d zeldas but you had it ranked like what four lower than me and i think Uh, that's mainly just because i love the 2d zeldas so much yeah okay a preference thing i can i can buy that i just i mean i like the 2d zeldas too but the world they build in that game the like when you're playing ocarina and you see hyrule field you go oh that's big when you see it in twilight princess and you go like holy cow yeah, it's like, throughout the course of that game you were exploring and discovering new stuff and new places and some of the the art design it's just like the, the i'm just gonna gush we can't keep doing this if you and, and i love the like you talk about how dark it is but part of what you're doing in the world is restoring light to it you're taking things out very of the, literally yeah, yeah out of the twilight and making them colorful again and then just oh god the where I, I, several zelda games fail 
at the climax, uh, just because so much of them are about the like the exploration. But the final battle, or rather, four battles in sequence at the end of Twilight Princess, like yeah, like like first you have the evil possessed Zelda, which is so cool. Such a great thing. But then you have to fight the giant pig monster Ganon. Then you have the final horseback battle and then the final sword duel, which is basically, let's see how well you've learned all the sword moves in the game. And just, and this is also at the point, I mean, Zelda, which has always been known for its music because of the quality of Nintendo's architecture, it's definitely more MIDI. But Twilight Princess had just a few orchestrated tracks that sounds incredible and really dramatic moments like like the final boss fight. And it just it gets your blood pumping. It was so cool to hear. They, they also I I mean, so I, I played it on the the Wii, which I basic I, I have a history of just buying consoles to play a Zelda game. So I, I basically got the Wii to... <laughs> to play this and so i actually quite like the motion controls in this game like swinging the sword felt great to me it may not have been the most precise but it just like it just felt right to be like swinging your right hand while you're controlling it with your left hand controlling where you go uh i really like that addition in this game it um it was all right it's I, I it's this is a que- i recognize that this is a question of preference rather than actual ability like i don't like the motion controls. I didn't like using them. Um, I think they were perfectly fine. I think they were usable. It uh, it just wasn't quite for me. Uh, I I did enjoy. They had that thing where like uh, here's a fun bit of trivia for you, Zelda fans. <laughs> but the uh, so Link is traditionally the character is traditionally left handed. Um, his sword is in the left hand. But they realized if they're going to be doing motion controls, most of the people playing this game are going to be right handed. So when they release Twilight Princess on Wii, they mirror the entire game. <laughs> Everything is flipped. So you have these weird conversations every once in a while where you're talking to a friend. It's like, you go here, and then you go left. No, you go right. <laughs> no, you go left. No, you go right. And until you sit down at each other's houses and go, what the hell? Because the map is backwards. <laughs> it's like you have to have two maps for the everything in the game. Well, by then they had in-game maps, but like it was, it was a weird quirk yeah, I, of I the just, game. Like if and, you're trying to write like a hint guide for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're if you're on GameCube, go this way. If you're on Wii, go that way. It was a it, it it's such a weird solution to that problem. Rather than just changing the link model, I can't imagine why that wouldn't have been easier. But neither here nor there, I guess. So the the wolf thing isn't important. Well, I mean, it's it, it reminds me of uh, Ocarina of Time, or sorry, not Ocarina, Majora's Mask. At the start of it, you have this deco mask put on you, and you spend the start of the game it, as a deco scrub, like just a you know, it's it's like a little forest creature, yeah, a little forest creature, and then it, you get you know a little bit into the game, and you're able to take the mask off and play like normal Link. And this game is similar. It, it's in a way, it's like so many games you start off on tutorial island right and then you get you progress enough in the game and then they let you loose to actually explore the rest of the game and so this game you start off the the wolf form is in a way of just like a way of reining you in so you don't get too far too fast 
and then they take that restriction away from you and and let you free and in, into the, the rest of the world so you start off as a wolf uh and then later you get to have both forms so the wolf is is definitely important to the the plot of the game it is important to the gameplay but in in the way it's just like another mask that you have in Majora's mask is that a good way yeah, of describing another it? Tool that yeah, you it's, can it's use. another tool that you can use. And tools have always been important in, in Zelda games. All right. All right. Interesting. Fair enough. Should we move on to the to to uh John's number one? And I'm guessing it's Jesse's number one as well. I how could it not be? Yeah. That's the problem with top five Zelda lists. Is that one Zelda game is one of the best video games that has ever been released ever in any context. <laughs> so how could it not be at the top of your list? And it's like, we could do this list 10 years ago and we would have the same problem. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Maybe. Like, like, Maybe. This one is a standout. Though. It is. But like this is the thing about Zelda games is that they've always been standouts. And they've always been pushing the the bar higher for video games in general so it's like if we did this list in 1997 we would have breath of the or sorry we would have the original zelda and then later on like a link to the past would have been the best video game of all time and then it became ocarina of time is the best game of all time and now we are with jesse uh, are we gonna do the whole title you might as well the legend of zelda breath of the wild oh, i thought we were gonna say it together it was gonna be like a fun <laughs> homestarrunner.net it's dot com yeah yeah Breath of the Wild 2017, um, Wii U and Nintendo Switch. I did all the gushing. I mean, we're both going to gush, but I just did a bunch of gushing for Twilight Princess and my mouth is dry. John, do you want to start with this one? I mean, I bought a a $400 Zelda console just to play this game. That's that's like, I bought a Nintendo Switch to play this and figured like, it's worth it because this game is... I'm already I'm losing my words here because this game (laughs) took Zelda, put it into an open world and made open world games amazing. Okay, so just for our non gamer listeners, what do you mean by open world? So it, it, it just plunks you down in a world and you can go anywhere and it is full of side quests or main quests you do you what you want it's just a giant world full of things to interact with and so if you want to go and go right to the end boss and and kill the end boss you can do that but instead if you just want to you know collect flowers for hours you can do that i mean but that's such a like the thing that they've done in breath of the wild is that it's not just that it's, oh, you can go anywhere until you find where you're supposed to go. There is constantly something interesting and new to do and discover in Breath of the Wild. And not just in the way that a lot of open world games do it, where they have an NPC and a marker on a map. It's like, go here and talk to this person and then go collect like, you know, 30 boars anuses or whatever. <laughs> like, it's like you just like you might find like a you know, a weird pile of rocks in a log. You think oh, that's weird. You'll start kicking the log around, and before long, like you've used your magnesis spell to like basically fashion a catapult out of this rock and logs. And and a lot of times there's there are rewards for that. The, the, you know, they're the Koroks, nine hundred of them to find if you want. Uh, but other times you just find new and interesting, like new and interesting ways to play the game, and new and interesting things to do, new and interesting places. There are there is at least one, and I think two villages 
in Breath of the Wild that you can miss entirely and clear the game. Like you might not find them. Mm-hmm. That vil- the village in a fantasy video game is a social hub. It's a place that you are supposed to go and collect quests and stuff. In this case, they've just populated the world. And if you happen to find it, you can reap the benefits of stuff that's there. Breath of the Wild. Ah, God, I mean, the, the inv- they, they add so much to it. They've added a physics engine that works in a way that's never happened in a Legend of Zelda game before. It, it, it takes so long for traditional Zelda players to figure this out. Zelda, a franchise that has a lot of placing rocks on switches. Well, Link can carry all this stuff. You're carrying all this food, for instance. If you're in a dungeon and you can't figure out how to push a block onto the switch, there's nothing stopping you from just dropping a bunch of watermelons on the switch. <laughs> there's, there's And then... I was just gonna say, like, like every puzzle, like with a lot of games and, and previous Zelda games, there's one way to solve the puzzle, and you've just got to figure out that one way. This one, it's just like the, the game designers didn't even think about how many possible ways you, there are to solve the puzzle. There's twelve ways to solve it. There's as many ways as your imagination allows for. Yeah, got the the temperature thing, right? Like, there's extreme temperatures. You can get extreme cold up on the mountaintop. So, so what do you do? Well, you can try and find a warm outfit, like that's the traditional approach, or you can cook spicy food that gives you like a temporary heat thing, and then you start to realize, like, well, you can start a fire. Like, literally, you can collect wood and collect stones and use it to start a bonfire, right? Like flint and tinder, and then later you get the like the the magic elemental swords, and no one tells you, but you'll you'll find out at some point if you have the fire sword out, that boosts your temperature, and you can walk through the cold places safer. Or like just there's something trapped in an ice block, and you can try to build a fire next to it, or you can maybe just stand next to it with your flame sword. Yeah, and it very slowly melts <laughs> yeah. while you're standing there. Yeah, there is. It's such a living world and like open world games. I think we're just coming out of the fad now for like the last 10 years, like the Ubisofts, the Assassin Creed's have been big. Like like those are sort of the the highlighted ones. There are, there are better examples, I think. But in those games, what they mean by open world is just like, here are a bunch of points on the map. Go visit them all until you get bored. And it's really the same activity, right? Climb the tower. Defeat the circle of guys, whatever. This is an open world game. It's it's almost intimidating. It, it like it does the tutorial. It teaches you how to play. It introduces you to the characters, and she says like, okay, your overall goal is to go solve problems in these four places. Good luck. And they don't even appear on your map. You just know vaguely they're in that direction. You don't know what's between you and there. And I remember sitting there going, what am I supposed to do now? I guess I'll just get on the road and. See what happens. And and I think what is the most amazing thing about this game is that you can go anywhere. And I've never really experienced that in an open world game. Like you can, it seemed like for a while there was a competition to have who can have the biggest map in an open world game, but you just ended up with games with tons of empty space and just a bunch of like hidden walls in the middle. Like here's a mountain, but you can't actually climb it. So then you've just got to like try to find your way walking around these invisible walls to actually try to get to the peak. And Zelda's just like, no, you can just go right up it. You, you might not have enough stamina right away, but eat some potion or eat some food on the way up and you'll be able to make it to the top. We're not going to stop you. 
or at some point you'll find the climbing gear or at some point you'll find it like, like on and on so many different ways but the, to do so much different stuff. The entire world was designed to be interacted with. There were, there's no barriers. That's a way to sum it up. So what you get out of playing this game is an extremely light-handed adventure and it, it becomes your adventure, right? You don't go story point to story point, objective to objective. This is you exploring this world and learning what there is to find and learning how to overcome its challenges. And you craft your own, I mean, maybe, maybe the modern term for it is headcanon. Like you craft your own adventure. This is what happened. First, I went here and this, then I met this guy and this thing. And everyone comes away with it having discovered new stuff. They're still discovering new stuff in this game for Pete's sake. I still talk to people who had no idea about the bowling thing up in the mountains or like, like, again, I'm tripping over my own tongue because of all the different things. The first time you see one of the dragons, no one tells you there are dragons in this world. <laughs> But you're walking around one day and a shadow crosses Music you and changes. you look up and there's this huge Asian dragon just flying by, like way larger than anything you've seen in the game so far. And of course, you can interact with them and there's all these things that they can do and they're very valuable resources. And But, but there's no like, this, this is the part of the game where this character explains dragons to you. Just stuff just happens to you while you play this game. And it's a Addictive. It is so rewarding because you are constantly getting new tools and making new discoveries and finding cool places. There's just this really addictive loop of like, let's see what's on top of that hill. And you get up to the top of the hill and there's a little tiny reward in a form of a Korok seed. And then you look down and it's like, oh, is that a shrine? Let me go down and explore that shrine. And then you go in the shrine and you get a piece of heart. And then you come out of the shrine and it's like, what's the top of that tree? Let me go see that. And then, oh, look, another shrine. And then, and it's like days later and you've completely forgot about the main quest because you're just still addicted to this loop of like- Or about like eating and sleeping in real life, about your family- <laughs> <laughs> your loved ones they all sort of fade to the background <laughs> like i so i i've talked about how much i like the 2d worlds and i found that a lot of the transition to 3d games whether it was grand theft auto or zelda that there was something lost that they they gave you this 3d world but there was a lot of restrictions in that 3d world because they just didn't have the technology or the time or whatever it was to really set you free. And this game finally sets you free in a real, real 3d world. Now in the interest of not just gushing about it too hard, it's not perfect. There are a couple of little things that, you know, that become issues. It definitely falls apart at the end. This game is about exploring when it comes time to wrap up the story. It is an extremely disappointing finale. Uh, also, it definitely suffers on the Nintendo Switch's hardware, uh, which is especially embarrassing because it was originally a Wii U game. But there are some frame rate problems hmm. and some like a thing in The Legend of Zelda. It's always super dramatic when you find the Master Sword, like the Legend of Zelda equivalent of Excalibur. Like, it should be one of the coolest moments of the game. But man, does it drop to like eight or nine frames a second when you're whenever you're in that part of the forest. It just. The hardware can't quite keep up with what the game. Yeah, but demands. honestly, I didn't care because I was having so much fun playing it. 
Like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I didn't care either. Is this one of the best games ever made? I'm just trying to be like an objective journalist. Sure, here, but like, know? who's buying a Nintendo system for cutting edge hardware? You're buying it for the gameplay, and it excels at that. Yeah, there's. It's more than just the like, oh, if you like Legend of Zelda, you'll love Breath of the Wild. No, Breath of the Wild is an incredible interactive media experience. They have crafted something magnificent, and I have no idea what they could possibly do to follow it up. Because how do you beat that? What I'm hoping for with Breath of the Wild too, and this is where my criticism of Breath of the Wild one is that they've done amazing things gameplay wise, but it's still a man rescuing the helpless princess. And they've done a lot of work to make the princess a character and to give her a lot of power of her own. But I was so hoping for the DLC to actually let you play as Zelda for once. And so it's like, yeah, it's, it's a game that's big thing is playable Zelda. For... Yeah. It's like a game that fails the Bechdel test. And I'm really hoping that <laughs> they deal with that in the sequel to it. So it's, it's like, it's an amazing gameplay wise, but in terms of the world and having, women be real people it it fails there well i mean that just means it's like uh one of the best games ever and yet it still has room for improvement so the next chapter could be the the one that that brings it all together we can only hope so yeah not a lot of contention on that one but our number one i think everybody's number one legend of zelda breath of the wild it is that is hard to beat um otherwise john i mean I agree with you. I, 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 our lists are a little bit different, but like we, we had a lot of the same titles, just in slightly different places. And it's because there's a lot of really ace material here. Maybe that's why we haven't done a Zelda one up till now, because like having to pick your favorite from among so many favorites is is such a challenge. All right. Well, thanks for for bringing us this list and this insight into the uh, Legend of Zelda verse and. Uh, uh, hopefully we will get more Zelda content going in the future. Thanks for coming on the show, John. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. While we're giving out thanks, I uh, always want to mention Oliver Wickham, the guy behind our theme song. Please check him out on Spotify. Not just for us. He's got some really cool stuff out there. He is a musical savant. Um, and finally, also want to say thanks to you. Um, we know our video game stuff is super popular in the GT5 community. Uh, so hoping you're enjoying what we're giving you, but we just we definitely love the discussions this sort of thing promotes. So if there are any Zelda games we missed, anything we got wrong, anything that you're surprised we didn't cover, uh, we'd love to carry on that conversation with you. Uh, Graham, how can they get that stuff to us? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com or on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5. And you can also go to geektop5.com and leave comments on every episode that's posted there. Please also consider going to your podcatcher of choice and rating and reviewing us. Those ratings and reviews, super helpful to us, not just for the praise, which we do love, but also it gives us a really cool idea of where the show's being listened to, um, what like what's being used to listen to it, and what content is most popular with you. So you want to make the show a better, you know, more applicable to you, please let us know, fill in that information. Otherwise, The Legend of Zelda, spanning so many years and so many games, uh, Breath of the Wild is available now on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, a couple of the remakes are also available on there now. And then whatever Nintendo console you have, it's got at least one. Uh, plenty enough there to keep you busy until we get a chance to do this again. 
Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week. I think we also have to have some follow-up from last week. Because, Graham, oh when you're talking about the bat signal and you said that it was like not something that you really see in other other comic books, you forgot all about the Fantasta Flare. Well, <laughs> I think that's a, a seldom used compared to the bat signal, at least. Well, they only had to stop using it because their antagonists found out about it and started using <laughs> it to trick them. But otherwise, it totally could have been another bat signal. I don't, I, I don't understand. Is this just like a flare that makes a Fantastic Four sign? Is that what we're talking I about? Think pretty much. Yeah, yeah, basically. Sometimes Johnny Storm would fly around in the sky to make the Fantastic Four logo himself. But generally, it's just a flare that gun. That doesn't seem terribly useful. Wouldn't the Fantastic... Like, he'd already be there. Jesse, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to prove Graham wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's just okay. <laughs>